I tried to come up with all kinds of interesting or helpful uh, introductions to the teaching this morning, and I just couldn't come up with a good one. So I'm going to start by telling you where we're going, what the bottom line is. Really boring introduction to what I hope is something that's encouraging. And it is this. It's God. It's the God of both hope and laughter. Laughter. You know when you've got to do seasonal teachings or event teachings, you know, sometimes you're stretching a little bit, Ken. It's You're thinking, what can I teach? What's applicable? I, I had a verse in mind since earlier this year that I was determined to teach on for Christmas. And this is it. So I hope it comes off well. But God is a God. This sounds trite. It's not. You'll see. God is a God of laughter. And by that I mean both, really. God brings laughter into your life and mine. No small thing. But he's also a God who brings uh, out of despair. He brings hope out of what looks like death, the end of things. He brings life again. He's a God for whom a death or the end of a matter is not the end. He can change things even when they look like they're past all hope, all life. God's the one who comes in at the end of a thing and brings life. He's the one who brings laughter where there was only sorrow or bitterness or despair. And Laughter is a funny thing. <clears throat> if you do a, a Bible search on this, look up laughter. I found this interesting. In the scriptures, laughter, more often than not, has to do with you're a laughing stock or someone's calamity being laughed at, then it does laughter in the ways we typically think of. Something's funny, it's a joke, it's ironic, etc. You do see all those in the scripture, but primarily the funny thing about laughter is in the scripture is what it's directed at. It's you're the laughing stock, or sometimes God laughs at calamity because someone's rejected wisdom, for instance, out of Proverbs. Proverbs 14, 13 says, even in laughter the heart may be in pain. You know, sometimes you laugh because it's a laugh of despair. It's a laugh out of a bitter or hopeless situation. Even in laughter the heart may be in pain. Ecclesiastes 3, 4 says, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a season for all of these things, and there's certainly a time to laugh. Jesus says in Luke 6, 21, Blessed are you who weep now, the thought is weeping over the sin around us or the, the deficiencies in life around us because you will laugh later. You've got weeping now, but you'll enter a season of laughter later. So when we're done, I hope you see that God's a God of laughter and that he wants us to approach, I would say at least, life in some significant way with this perspective that he's a God of laughter. Let me start, and actually where we'll spend the bulk of our time, is in a story about laughter. Laughter is the key word in this story, this, this story out of the Bible. And it's a story about hopelessness and despair. It's a story about a strong desire, lifelong desire for something, and it's too late for that desire to be fulfilled. And out of this hopelessness and despair, God brings laughter. This could be your story or mine. I mean, probably all of us in here have elements in our life in which we look back and we say, we thought God was going to do something that didn't happen. We thought some good blessing was going to come and the time has come and the time has gone and it didn't happen and it won't happen. And that's the kind of story we start with this morning. And you'll see that in the midst of despair, God brings, literally and figuratively, He brings in laughter. And if you'd like, you can turn to Genesis 17. This is the story of Abraham and Sarah, his wife. And I'm going to skip through. We'll actually be in chapter 17 through 21. 
Starting in 17.1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. You will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, meaning exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, father of multitudes. For I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. We'll skip the next verses that talk about the sign of the covenant down to verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai meaning princess, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. This also means princess, and just minor digression. God's changing both their names in this story. That's significant for two reasons. In the scriptures, when you name someone, you have authority over that person. That's a parent names their child. It's because they're in authority over them. Adam names Eve because he's the authority over his wife. God names them. He gives them new names. You see Jesus do this with the disciples in the New Testament. God says, I'm the authority in your life. I'm naming you. But also, it signifies a change in their life. Their lives are going to be different from here, and this new name signifies that. Sarah's name essentially stays the same. It's meaning princess. But God changes her name again to show his authority and to show that her life has now come to a fork in the road, if you will. It's going to change from here out. God says, I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. He said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Now, the first instance of laughter in this story is the laughter of unbelief. Remember, this isn't the first time God appeared to Abraham. It's not the first promise he made to him. And Abraham was an old man when this whole thing started, and 25 years have gone by from the first promise of a son. And and by gosh and by golly, Abraham got a son, Ishmael, through Hagar. But God comes now later and says, that's not the one I was talking about. I'm going to give you a new son. At this point in his life, all Abraham can do When God Almighty shows up and says, I'm going to give you a son through your wife, Sarah, all he can do is laugh, not because he believes it, not because he's happy, but because he can't believe it. This is the laugh of incredulity. I can't believe what you're telling me. So he says, in this frame of unbelief, verse 18, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. In other words, Lord, there's no hope of my wife and Sarah and I having this son you're talking about. So just bless the one I've got, Ishmael. Verse 19, God said, No, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name now. Your Bible says Isaac here. You shall call his name Isaac. But in Hebrew, this would sound like Yisak, and Yisak means laughter. So, 
Abraham falls on his face and laughs. And then God says, the son that you're going to have, you shall call laughter. Now, when I read this, this is what I'm going to read. English laughter, not the Hebrew, not the transliterated version of the word Isaac, which is the same thing. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I'll bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He'll become the father of 12 princes. I'll make him a great nation. Those would be primarily the Arab nations of today. But my covenant I will establish with laughter, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abram. Genesis 18.1 Not long afterwards, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. And Skipping down to verse 9, God with the angels said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, There in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. They know this. She's too old to have a child. What's Sarah's response? Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I didn't laugh, because she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Sarah's example, she does the same thing Abraham does. Abraham going to give you a son by Sarah. He laughs, can't believe it. Sarah laughs, she can't believe it. God says, hey, it's going to happen. Count on it. We're going to skip the rest of 19 and 20, Sodom and Gomorrah, and the travels with Abimelech. We're going down to Genesis 21.1, where the story continues. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, laughter. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son laughter was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. She said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This is a story about laughter. It's filled with laughter, and the son of promise is named laughter. Abraham and Sarah laugh initially in unbelief. They can't believe what God is telling them, and they laugh. They laugh later when God keeps the promise and the son is born. And God names this son of promise laughter, which I like. And I think it kind of goes like this. Every time they look at this little fella and call him by name, they're reminded probably, one, of their unbelief, their first response to God's promise, and two, the fact that God fulfilled it anyway. It's as if God has the last laugh. Have you ever, if you're a parent, told your child something that you know they won't believe, that that they will find unbelievable, but the joke's on them because you really know the way it's going to be true? And so you tell them and they laugh and you laugh because the joke's on them. And it's kind of like that here. The joke's on them. God gives them the desire of their heart 
And he does it kind of in this tricky way. And they laugh first in unbelief, but then they laugh because of the joy of the promise fulfilled. Now remember, they had given up any hope of Sarah and Abraham having a son. This hope was long gone. Long gone. So that when God comes up and says, hey, that promise I made you, Ishmael wasn't the one, but it's time now, they're just beyond all belief. The laughter of unbelief and then the laughter of real joy because this unbelievable promise has been fulfilled. God is tricky. And every time they saw their son, and every time they called his name, they're saying laughter. Laughter. They're laughing. God's laughing with them, not at them. It's a story about laughter. Fulfilled promises when all looked like it was lost and beyond remedy. Uh, God does laugh too. You know, this giving of a son to Sarah was physically, it was an impossibility. She couldn't, she physically could not produce children at this point in her life. Now, if you know Abraham's story, you know it was not a physical impossibility with Abraham because later in life he marries again and has additional children. But for Sarah, it was an impossibility for her to have a son, any, any child, much less the son of promise. Physical impossibility. Not the only physically impossible birth in Scripture, of course, and I'm thinking more towards the Christmas season and moving ahead a couple thousand years to the birth of Jesus Christ. Physical impossibility for a virgin to be pregnant and deliver a son. It's a physical impossibility. And of course, going back to Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, the son, laughter. Laughter was a promise and was a type, was a picture of a son who would be given in the future, another son from another impossible birth. And this son, born from Mary, someone who'd never known a man, physically couldn't be pregnant, physically couldn't deliver a child, and yet in God's providence, by God's power, nevertheless conceives and bears a son. This Jesus, Jesus grows up, says he's the Messiah, God the Son on earth. He's the one Israel's been waiting for. He produces the miracles to validate his verbal claims. And of course, in the end, he's rejected by both the nation of Israel and by the Romans, and he's crucified on the cross. Now, from our vantage point, if we're thinking God sent a Savior, but he's lying dead there in the tomb, it looks like all is lost. And there's a sense in which you could think of the tomb, this place of death, just like Sarah's womb, a place where no life can happen, the tomb we think of as a place of death, and yet in God's providence it becomes kind of like this womb, and Jesus is, if you will, born again, is raised to new life out of this place of death, and what does God do? He laughs. Psalm 2, David said this a thousand years before, when the nations, and by the way, Psalm 2 is about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and God's response. Psalm 2, David writes, and he says, The nations and the Jews, they're looking how to get rid of God. They want to throw God's rule, His authority, off. And they're going to set up their own king and their own government. And in in order to do that, they're going to crucify God's version of a king. And, And what is God's response in Psalm 2? He who sits in the heavens, he laughs and he scoffs at them. Why? Because even when it looks like the world has conquered God's Savior and He lies dead in the tomb, the truth is the joke's on them. 
because all that crucifixion did was provide for the payment of the sins of the world, even the people who crucified Jesus. And God raises his son to new life again, the place of death, just like Sarah's womb, looked like no life could happen. The tomb Jesus is buried in looks like death is all there is, no life could happen. God raises the dead, Jesus, his son, raises him from the dead, and the joke's on them because God sits in heaven and laughs and says, guys, I've already appointed my son. He's sitting on the throne in heaven until the day in which I put his enemies as the footstool of his feet. God laughs in heaven because his plan's going to go through. And it doesn't matter if it looks like his hope is dead and gone. It doesn't look like if all we've got is the laughter of despair and bitterness and disappointment because like the disciples... Think of Luke 24, Jesus on the road, and he talks to his friends, and they, thought, they say, we thought he was the one. See, but all our hopes, they're dead and buried, just like Sarah's womb. And God's laughing. He's laughing in heaven because his plan's going through. His son's rising from the dead. This isn't the end of the story. This is the beginning. And God gives laughter again in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, personally, all of us that live on this planet, uh, Job said we're born for trouble as surely as the smoke goes upward. Life on this planet is difficult. It's, it's a troubled mess. And yet all of us go through life, and the truth is we entertain hopes and dreams. We hope certain things will happen. And we work at things sometimes to try and make them happen, desirable things, good things. And yet the truth is that all of us are, are bound for disappointment in in many, if not most, of the things in life we have hopes for. Uh, you know, you'll, you make plans to do one thing and, and it doesn't go through, so you do something else. And, and all of us face kinds of despair or hopelessness in our life. Um, you might be out of work at times. Fortunately, someone in our midst is reemployed again. This is a good thing. But as Christmas season approaches, you might be thinking about the ways in life in which you've been disappointed, or you might be thinking, God, if you could give me a gift this Christmas, this is what I'd like it to be. This, these are my hopes. These are my desires. And as we go into the Christmas season, the thought of gifts and gifts giving sometimes, sometimes can simply accentuate the fact that there are areas in our life that aren't what we wish they were. They're not what we had hoped for. We're further down the line than we thought, and whatever we'd hoped for, or dreamed of, worked for, hasn't come about. And and I would encourage you in this area to laugh with God before he shows you the joke, so to speak. That is, to take a view of life in which you're saying, God, I don't know what you're going to do, and I don't know what life from the dead looks like, but I'm pinning my hopes on you, and I'm banking on you fulfilling all your good pleasure in my life so that at some future day, whether it's in time or it's in eternity, I'm going to laugh with you at the ways you provided, even when it looked like no provision was possible. If you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about anxiety. And we said, you know, anxiety is a sin. It separates you from God and it brings death, not life. Don't do it. That's kind of a negative. Don't do it. Don't practice anxiety. What I'd like to do on the front end of the Christmas season this week is encourage you to entertain life, embrace life, with this positive outlook of laughter. God's telling jokes, so to speak, on us all the time. We're going through life and we think this thing couldn't happen and God, he's, he's laughing, so to speak, like he laughed with Abraham and Sarah because he knows what he's going to do. And, and sometimes the things we're in despair over, anxiously worried about, 
God's laughing because he's going to come through and he's going to deliver the goods. And then we'll laugh with him. We laugh in despair sometimes ahead. Then we laugh with him when he comes through. I I want to encourage you to set your hope on God, a God who brings laughter in the midst of despair, a God who brings victory and life out of what looks like only death. Having said that, let me quickly say this too, though. You know that God isn't Santa Claus and that you and I won't get everything we want on this earth and in these lifetimes. And, and the truth is, that's a good thing. God, all the gifts he gives, they're good gifts. And everything he does, he does out of love and goodness towards us and towards his own glory. And that means everything he does is right. So there will be things you and I would like to have or do in life that just aren't going to happen. And I'd say for the most part, it's because our goals are too low, our desires are too puny. And God's going to give a fulfillment, an ultimate an ultimate fulfillment to the things and desires we have in life, not in time on this earth, but in eternity. See, we've got eternity to go. So in my mind, the trickiest thing about all this is that God will ultimately answer the desires of our heart, not in time, but in eternity. And we'll laugh with God in heaven, as it were, in the ways that he came through that we could never have imagined or the ways he answered prayer in ways we simply couldn't have seen, maybe even in time. So two things related to the Christmas season. Let me, let me encourage you to entertain the season with a thought of laughter. God provides laughter. In the place of hopelessness and despair and death, God provides joy and life and laughter. And then also realize, hold the desires of your life lightly because some of them just aren't going to happen here. They're just not. Sometimes we just have to come to grips with that. But others will. Things that we think God wouldn't do for us, He will. We just don't know the difference between the two most of the time. But then also, ultimately, God's going to answer the desires of our heart in eternity, not in time. The the life we occupy on earth and the time we occupy on earth, they're not big enough for the size of the gifts God intends to give us. So if all our quests don't get met, if all our desires aren't fulfilled here, that's okay because we're headed towards eternity. It's further up, it's further in, it's all better from here. There's no loss in that sense. You know, too, ultimately, the reason you and I can laugh in life or with the thought of eternity to come is because we've got Christ. You know, if you've got Christ, you've got the source of all joy and all life. So that Paul could say in Philippians 4, you know, I know how to get along when I've got lots of stuff and I know how to get along when I've got nothing. Because I've got Christ, that changes his outlook. And for all of us, in having Christ, we've got really everything we need, both for time and for eternity. We can afford to laugh at the difficulties of life because we've got Christ. We can afford to laugh after election losses and after business failures and after personal failures. We can afford to laugh because we've got Christ. He's the source of all joy. He is, if you will, the son of laughter. Isaac's a picture of Christ. He's the son of laughter. He brings laughter. He brings joy with him. If you've got Christ, you've got enough to face life with a smile and a laugh, even now. Whatever else you don't have, if you've got Christ, you've got enough. I'm going to close with a portion of a story that my family's enjoyed for many years. I'm actually doing well this morning on not going 
my normal duration. But uh, if this is a story you haven't read, either as an adult or as a child, I'd encourage you to read it because we have found it so encouraging. It's by Antoine de Saint-Zupéry. It's called La Petite Enfant, The Little Prince. And let me just bring you up to speed before I read a portion from the end of the book. The little prince is this little blonde-haired prince that lives on his own planet up in space. It's asteroid B612. It's a tiny planet. He cleans his little volcano. And he takes care of his little rose. And life's good. But one day a flock of wild geese come sailing through. He hitches a ride from his little planet. And he has these adventures visiting other planets. And I won't go into all that. But he ends up landing on planet Earth. And he happens to land in a desert. And in the desert he makes a new friend. And it's a pilot whose airplane has gone down. It's crashed in the desert. He's got to find a way to repair it. So he's stuck there. So our pilot friend and the little prince stuck there in the desert, and they have their conversations and their little adventures together. But the time comes in which the little prince tells his friend that he's got to go back to his own planet, that his planet's coming close to the earth, as close as it will be again, and so he's got to go back. There's, the difficulty with that, though, is that his body's too heavy. His body's keeping him here, so he's going to have to get rid of his body to go home. And so he's made a deal with the snake to bite him, in which he assures the pilot that his body will be here, and it'll look like he's dead, but he's really not, because it's just the shell. He really will be back on his home planet, alive and well. This is what he assures his pilot friend, and this is what he tells him. At night you'll gaze at the stars. Where I live, everything is so small that I cannot show you where mine is. It's better like that. My star will just be one of the stars for you, so... You'll love looking up at all of them. They will all be your friends. And I have a present for you. He laughed again. Ah, little prince, my dear little prince, I love to hear that laughter. Precisely. That will be my gift. What are you saying? The stars mean different things to different people. For some, they are nothing more than twinkling lights in the sky. For travelers, they are guides. For scholars, they are food for thought. For my businessmen, they are wealth. But for everyone, the stars are silent, except from now on, just for you. What do you mean? When you look up at the sky at night, since I shall be living on one of them and laughing on one of them, for you it will be as if all the stars were laughing. You and only you will have stars that can laugh. And as he said it, he laughed. And when you are comforted, time soothes all sorrows, you will be happy to have known me. You will always be my friend. You will want to laugh with me. And from time to time you will open your window just for the pleasure of it. And your friends will be astonished to see you laughing whilst gazing at the sky. And so you will say to them, Yes, stars always make me laugh. And they will think you are crazy. I shall have played a very naughty trick on you. And once again he laughed. It will be as if I had given you, instead of stars, a lot of bells that can laugh. And I love this story because you've got a serpent bringing death to the little prince, but it's not death at all. It's just a release from the body, and it's to go back where he came from to live life again. So that when the pilot friend now looks out at the night sky, he doesn't see a silent, cold universe, but he hears laughter from all the stars. And I guess what I want to say, from the Genesis text, God didn't just give them a son. He gave them laughter, and the joke was on them. He played a little trick on them. 
He tells them the truth. They can't believe it and they laugh. But the laugh, the joke's on them because he's really going to do it. And I just think this Christmas season, whatever you're facing, unpleasant relatives, you don't have money for the gifts you'd like to give, or you know you can't get in this life, maybe even, what you want, to still face the Christmas season, the season which we remember God giving the gift of his son, face this season with laughter. And remember that God gives laughter even in what are situations of hopelessness and despair. He's the God who gives life out of dead wombs and dead tombs. And when you and I face Christmas this season, the good, the bad, and the ugly, we face it with laughter because we know who we belong to. We've got Christ. If we're Christians, we can afford to laugh in the worst of situations because we've got eternal life. We've got it all. We're kings and queens. We're princes and princesses who will rule and reign with Jesus Christ forever. We can afford to laugh. We can afford to laugh. If you don't know Christ, let me encourage you this Christmas season, what better gift could you give yourself than eternal life and laughter in life and eternity in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Lord, I am thankful that you have a sense of humor and that the joke's on us because you deliver the goods. Lord, thanks for the day when we see you face to face, when all dreams become reality when your purposes and designs in time are ushered into eternity, Lord, and we behold you as you are, and we see the Lord Jesus face to face, and all sorrow and death and sign is put away, all death, all sin, Lord, is gone forever, and we have only that eternal day in your presence to look forward to. Lord, I know it's a time of feasting and celebration of joy and laughter, and Lord, I pray in faith, and in belief, remembering Sarah and Abraham and Isaac, remembering Mary and a, and a young woman who couldn't deliver, Lord, I pray that we'll remember that you're the God who brings impossible results into the realm of life. And Lord, you're the one who gives victory out of defeat and hope out of despair. And Lord, you're a God who brings laughter out of sorrow. We entrust ourselves to you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.